Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We invite you and ask you to subscribe to our feeds iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Find us anywhere on those services or go right to nationalreview.com. You can click on the podcast tab, find all the podcasts National Review has to offer, including ours. Listen, enjoy, share. We ask you to leave reviews as well. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram and my tag team partner standing by as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff. Hey, uh, sorry, sorry, there, Scott. I'm a little tied up for the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the the sequencers here to work. Um, oh, 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 no! Oh, God, they're eating the tape loops. Oh, God, it's a mess. Um, somebody, Barney, get me a beer. <laughs> uh, you can find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD. And our guest on this episode, episode thirty-five of Political Beats is uh, the editor-in-chief of Ricochet.com. He's a columnist for the Arizona Republic and the co-host of the Conservatarians podcast. Find him on Twitter at xjohn, E-X-J-O-N. He's John Gabriel. John, welcome on to Political Beats. It's great to be on here. Appreciate you making time to talk about uh, one of your favorite bands, which we'll introduce in just a moment. But first, here on the Politically Beats podcast, of course, we talk to people in and around politics, covering politics, analyzing, doing all sorts of things. But we don't talk about political topics. We talk about music, of course. But we still want to know how, John Gabriel, you entered into the, into this political world. How did that happen? Um, I'm not sure, but America is very grateful for it. <laughs> um, it was uh, kind of a strange road for me. Um, right out of high school, joined the Navy after that. Got a degree in journalism, of all things, and, uh, and and actually worked in graphic design and marketing mostly after that. Uh, but I w- always wrote on the side, was always a bit of a news fanatic, and after a while I just couldn't stand it anymore. There was a limited government group here. I live in the, in the Phoenix area, and there's a limited government group called the Goldwater Institute, mm-hmm. and they needed a director of marketing uh, who did writing and graphic design. So I said, oh, what the heck, and I applied. And uh, that was probably about six or seven years ago now, and uh, worked for them for two years, and after that uh, decided to just make a go of it with writing. So I've been doing that ever since, uh, joined Ricochet shortly thereafter, and uh, here I am today talking about music with National Review and Political Beats. Which clearly is the, uh, the highlight well, of the career the apex. thus far. Yes, yes. You know, it is, there's it's no all, other way around it. It's all down here, downhill from here. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry yeah. to inform you. John Gabriel with us here on Political Beats. And uh, we now introduce uh, his band, which uh, is uh, one of the, uh, the more influential, popular bands of uh, the 1980s, uh, both on the dance floor and on the radio, uh, forming out of the ashes of uh, a band that you also might know called Joy Division. John's chosen band is New Order. And John, we open the floor to you. We want you to tell us why you love New Order, how you found them and got into them, and why anybody else out there should care about this band. They are an amazing band, like you said. Uh, very influential. Um, they, they kind of got more popular after the lead singer died um, in Joy Division, uh, at least in the States here. 
Um, I was a teenager. My older brother was my cool brother. He was about five years older, and uh, he had Joy Division albums and told me about this band with this mysterious brooding lead singer, and that was Ian Curtis, who uh, unfortunately took his own life after two albums and many uh, wonderful other releases. And uh, the other three members, they're still very young. They loved music. They didn't know what else to do. So they said, well, let's just keep playing. And they continued as a trio for a very brief time, added a fourth member, and uh, just continued the evolution of their sound. Uh, You can really see a fairly seamless transition from Joy Division to New Order. And it it was basically this um, after-punk rock Punk rock is kind of an artistic cul-de-sac. Um, hmm. That scene was going on in the U.S., um, but really heavily in London for about a year, year and a half. And there's kind of nothing you can do after you tear down your elders and you know spit on crowds and things. <laughs> and so post-punk started out, and it was just all these people who thought, "Well, I'm not. I might not be a great musician, but I'm going to go out here and try this because that's what punk really enabled them to do." And there's all different strains of bands. And Joy Division, uh, being from Manchester, this kind of cold, isolated, uh, I guess you could say Rust Belt city, England's version of it, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of came out combining all these different influences from uh, craft work to the punk movement and Velvet Underground, a lot of people said. And New Order just continued the evolution, getting more and more electronic over time. Uh, They're just an amazing hybrid, uh, something that's very hard to do, of very cool, aggressive indie rock with a punk feel to it and evolving into dance music and continuing to combine the two, at least to the albums that we'll be discussing. And uh, that's a strange high-wire act to do, uh, to be equally as impressive to... The cool, e- brooding emo kid in the mid-80s, um, might have been me, by the way, and also uh, <laughs> the cool kids on a dance floor in Ibiza uh, is a quite quite a pr- impressive trick, and they did it masterfully. For me, Joy Division and New Order were, were bands that I discovered fairly late in life. I discovered this group uh, in, in college, and, and what did I do? I, I went down to the, the local record store uh, you know, when I was a sophomore, and I saw this box set that I'd been looking at behind the, the, the desk, the front desk, for several months now, and it was uh, Heart and Soul by Joy Division. And I had never heard a note this band had ever played. I'd never even heard She's Lost Control. I'd never heard Love Will Tear Us Apart. Literally, I just knew that they were important i knew one day i'm gonna have to get into these guys so i did i bought their complete basically complete discography in one go got into that very dark music but i like challenges and then i realized well it's time to turn to new order again a band that only had meaning for me in terms of references made by critics so like so and so sounds like new order or like this song by the cure sounds like new order the song they were talking about by the way is in between days by the cure which absolutely does sound like new order uh, which I, i subsequently learned but what did i do i bought substance i just went down to the store and i bought this two cd set called substance and uh, it was probably one of the finest musical decisions i've made in my entire life i still to this day think that substance and we'll talk about it when we get there is is maybe the 
you know, one of maybe the greatest compilation album of the 1980s, one of the four or five most important compilations in the history of popular and rock music, certainly best, I would say, uh, a, a, a set that defines not only who this band were, but also uh, what they meant to music in the 80s and an entire subgenre of dance music, which they spent that entire era innovating on. So what, to me, New Order meant after having absorbed Joy Division was something profoundly liberating. I heard, <clears throat> you can hear the progression. They start with Ceremony on that album. You know, it's very much sounds like, an, it sounds like a Joy Division song because it was a Joy Division song. And then they get a little weirder and darker, and then they get lighter. As you know, John says, they turn to dance music. And it feels like they're, they're not only are they growing and shifting and changing as a band, but they're almost they're fumbling their way towards a, a, a happier modus vivendi. That you know, having lived and, and played in all these dark shadows as Joy Division, they sort of almost made a conscious decision that this is, this is not who we, we want to be. You, know, you can only do that for so long before you drive yourself insane. And so they, they, they took the turn towards dance music. And of course, some people say like, oh, well, you know, they just weren't as good as they were when they were, when they were Joy Division. I believed then and I believe to this day that you know, if you put a gun to my head and force me to choose, I prefer New Order to Joy Division, which is you know something that would, some people will find controversial. I think that what they lost with Ian Curtis's lyrics when he committed suicide, they gained measurably with their musical growth and the way that they they found beauty in darkness and they they found you know the sort of the, the beating soul of post punk and turned it into uh, what was 80s dance and club music and they were the they were the group that that really did more to innovate that than anybody else on the scene So what I love most about this this entire you know both groups you know taken in sequence is that you see them growing up in public, you know every single record every single that comes out you see a very very clear movement and growth and change from from from. 45 to 45 from LP to LP they become different in sequence and you always see where they're going and where they've been and where they ended up in 1993 is so different from where they started in 1980 and yet every step of the way feels like a very natural development as they found their way maybe unwittingly into being one of the great innovators of music during that decade and I have I knew some new order but certainly didn't come to uh, sort of dive deeper into the catalog until a couple of years ago and then really take the the whole uh, entirety of it when prepping for the show and i guess one thing i'll say is there's so much more to the band 
then someone might think that they had just heard, you know, Blue Monday or uh, Bizarre Lo- a Love Triangle. There, there's a whole lot more substance. There's a whole lot more, I think, musicianship even uh, than it, those two songs would, would indicate. And it, it's a very rewarding sort of discography to, to go down the rabbit hole with. And that's what we... That's what we're going to do here on the, the old program today. Um, but as John actually did a good job of summarizing, you know, where this band came from. Uh, originally, Joy Division for three, four years in the late 70s. Uh, Ian Curtis, uh, the, the lead singer, committing suicide in May of 1980. It was just the day before they were supposed to start a uh, their first American tour. And their second album was just about to come out, too. So the rest of the band, I guess they had some sort of pact where if one person left the band, that they would not continue under the same name of Joy Division. So the rest of the guys decided, yeah, we're going to keep playing music. Yeah, we're going to keep going forward, but we've got to get a new name. And uh, eventually ended up figuring on New Order. Uh, they actually played their first show just a couple of months after uh, after Ian Curtis's death. It's kind of the se- the second band, at least in that time period, to do that. You know, ACDC. ACDC, with, yeah. yeah. With Bon Scott, and, and they had an album out with Brian Johnson like three months after Bon Scott passed away. Uh, not quite as quick with the first uh, uh, album for New Order, but the first music and the first live performances were only a few months after his death. Started as a trio, and then needed a little augmentation. So the drummer, Stephen Morris's uh, girlfriend, Jillian Gilbert, was added, uh, mainly on keys, some guitar. I know Jeff wants to discuss that a little bit into it. And then the first live performance as really the, the new, new order, all members present, October of 1980. First song, Ceremony, which they would re-release at a later date and, and sort of slide into the first album of Movement. And uh, throw it to uh, whomever wants to take it, Look, the, I'll take it. clearly the band is still figuring out exactly how they're going to be a band in the wake of their death, uh, wake of the death of Ian Curtis. That shows both, I think, on Ceremony, the single, and on Movement, the album. Yeah, I mean, the thing about uh, New Order, you have to understand, is as, as you point out, they, they started basically right out of the gate, right after Ian Curtis committed suicide. They had like a couple of months. I, I think he um, they played their last show on May 2nd, I believe, something like that, April or May 2nd, and then he commits suicide. And so, you know, June, July are lost periods for the band, but by August, they're already demoing again. Their first concerts, I believe, are in September of 1980. So they took almost no time off. What were they working with? Well, they were working with material that was essentially still Joy Division material. So, you know, they, they call themselves New Order, but the band is... You know, making the same kinds of gloomy riffs. Now, for those, you know, we, we're starting a little bit out of context. We're not covering Joy Division today. Maybe someday on a later show we will get to them, I hope, because they're a wonderful band in their own right. But you're dealing with stuff that, you know, has, you know, very, very dark, gloomy, almost industrial, proto industrial sounding riffs, um, a lot of repetition. And then, of course, the overwhelming darkness of Ian Curtis's lyrics, you know, the kind of lyrics that. You would make fun of the way people sometimes make fun of Robert Smith for being mm-hmm. so darn, you know, mopey and, and depressed. <laughs> you know, even though he's a mega rich, you know, multimillionaire rock star, but nobody makes fun of Joy Division because Ian Curtis actually hanged himself, right? So it becomes.
becomes really scary, really serious. You know, you got that sense that they were playing for keeps. Um, the music that they were still trying to do on movement uh, is music that, that sounds kind of like a weak imitation of Closer, the last Joy Division album. And it's immediately obvious the big hole that Ian Curtis just blew in the band's sound when he killed himself because you know he used to be their sort of musical director. They, they wrote the music. The whole band wrote together, right? They would they would play, they would work up riffs, and then Ian Curtis oftentimes would listen to what they were playing and say, okay, no, no, that one. You take that bit, you take that bit, you take that bit. We all put it together. He could spot where the hooks were, where the really good ideas were, and he could help assemble them into songs. Without him, what they're left doing is playing with moods with their producer. The producer with Joy Division was the producer on this first album, Martin Hannett. And you end up with songs that, for the most part, aren't really songs. They're just sort of like you know a, a, a puttering drum machine set to a, a prominent bass riff by mm -hmm. Peter Hook about whose bass playing we'll talk about a lot more soon. Uh, and, and not much in the way of either moods or even decipherable words. They were so clearly struggling with his absence. The one obvious, uh, you know, the one obvious... Uh, you know, counterexample of that is their first single, Ceremony. Ceremony was a Joy Division song. It was the last song they wrote with Ian Curtis. It's B-side, In a Lonely Place, also an Ian Curtis song. And of course, the lyrics on those two songs are probably better written than any other lyric in the entire history of New Order because New <laughs> Order is not a lyric band because they're Ian Curtis lyrics and it was like almost the last thing he bequeathed to them after before he killed himself. New uh, Ceremony sounds like a completely different band than Movement. And I remember buying this album when I was younger, thinking, oh, Ceremony is so great. I really love Procession and Everything's Gone Green. These are singles that come later. This must be fun. And then I got this album and boy, I was disappointed. This is just not a very good album. I'll be blunt. I mean, Dreams Never End is an okay song to begin. It's not much of a song, though. It's funny. They didn't really know who the lead singer was going to be at this time. It ended up basically right. being Barney Sumner, uh, their guitarist. Uh, by the way, just the band members, Stephen Morris on drums, Bernard Sumner on guitars and vocals, and uh, Gillian Gilbert on um, uh, 
synthesizers she would join, and then finally um, Peter Hook on bass. Uh, but Dreams Never End is a good song. It has that in that New Order sort of you know um, you know that signature high bass line that would come to define their sound. But the rest of this album, maybe ICB, which people think stands for Ian Curtis Buried. I think that's a good song. So much else on this is just completely generic, and it's really funny that I I've been listening to to Movement for about 25 years now, and I can't actually hum a single note of it other than the <laughs> song. It's not a joke. Like I Agreed. listened to it again several times to, to, to yesterday and, and this morning. I can't hum these songs. I don't know them. I have like 400 live versions of them, and I still don't know them. How is it possible? Am I the only one who has that problem? Listen, I've rambled up. Uh, rambled <laughs> enough here. John, take it, please. No, you're not the only one with that problem. It's just this kind of it's almost like a collection of textures and feels yeah. and attempts. And <laughs> it's kind of, there, it's just this amorphous things. There's no hook to it. Um, and yeah, the lyrics, of course, uh, ceremony um, was wonderful, but that was uh, penned by Ian Curtis. And you could tell, you know, these are kids. They're really young at the time. Uh, they have very little experience. All the only experience they have is with Joy Division, uh, recording uh, two albums with Joy Division with the monster genius who is Martin Hannett, right? Brutalized right. these young guys, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they wanted to do, and they were trying to uh, keep going as a band and put something together. And where they really came to shine, and as you mentioned before, is Substance collected all these singles um, and just these singles, these one-offs that they did uh, were amazing. They were fantastic. And much like Joy Division, you know, they would release singles and they might be on the album, they might not. They weren't really concerned with that. Uh, they just wanted the artistic expression. And so that's when they started turning from this Joy Division cover band almost with Peter Hook and Barney Sumner trying to, <laughs> you know, share lyrical duties and not deciding who could replace Ian because neither one of them really could. You, do yeah. you ever get the sense that they're just he's that Sumner's just mumbling the lyrics in this album because yeah. he knows they're crap and he wants people to think that they're really like deep? <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely see that. Um, how do I, hide like, I can't, I can't write like Ian Curtis does. I'll do my best and and mumble <laughs> the rest and hopefully people won't notice. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll sound cool. I'll uh, look cool posing on the stage, but uh, I can't do the cool little Ian dance. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can. Hopefully no one will notice, and maybe Hooky can take the next lyric. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, the the, the uh, I agree with both of you on the the merits of the album. One thing I really dislike, and it never really came up again in their in their career, is is you know that drum sound, that kind of slappy flat drum sound, which I really dislike, is all over the album. Um, Dreams Never End is a is a is a fine song. The other two that I, I kind of don't mind, uh, I don't mind Senses, which is actually, you know, John kind of got at this. Senses is almost more of like a percussive experiment than anything else with the, with the way the drums kind of carry the song. And even uh, Denial, which I think is the last track on the album, is yeah. a very similar drum backbeat as Senses does too. They're just sort of experimenting and playing with the room. Uh, and as you guys mentioned, the vocals are mumbled and and basically buried in the mix as well. Uh, and the compositions, by and large, are, are icy, and it's hard to embrace them. You kind of keep them at arm's length. As Jeff said, you can listen to it. You might not remember it. It's not going to leave a, a hummable sort of melody in your mind. And that's why it was a tough kind of first step, I think. 
There's literally 45 concerts from the years 1980 <laughs> to 1982 about of, of New Order, okay, which is funny because they're actually like a can be an amazingly crappy live band. <laughs> actually, it was you know, kind of like Joy Division. One of the things I find them fascinating, one of the reasons I find them so fun to listen to actually is because they had such variability. They would often just be drunk out of their minds on stage and like, you know, like the, the sequencers wouldn't work, the tapes would break down and, you know, Barney would just be like, oi, hand me a beer! And like, you know, <laughs> nobody would know what to do. They're playing to rooms that are like, you know, there's 50 people in the room. But like, yeah, they they'd be playing these songs. I've heard them all so many times, and yet they don't make an impression on me. One thing about this album, before we move on from it, that does make an impression on me, and this is the first moment where New Order sounds, and I think for, for most of movement, they sound like the Joy Division wannabes. They sound like a Joy Division cover band. That was a great way of putting it, John. Um, but the one place that they don't sound like a Joy Division cover band is in the use of the synthesizers. And that's what Jillian Gilbert brought to the group. Jillian Gilbert was Stephen Morris's girlfriend, later wife. Um, they're still married, I believe. And um, she brought a completely different sense of layering and texturing. You, you heard some synths at the end of Joy Division's career on songs like Decades, which is the song that ends closer. It's a good song. Um, but for the most part, Joy Division were basically a guitar-based band. They were basically a, a, a punk, a punkish quartet that Martin Hannett smoothed over in the studio. And then suddenly on this album, songs like Doubts Even Here and Denial, where you have all these very, very hinky, crazy synthesizers flying everywhere. That's the new element in the the New Order sound, and that was really the one thing on this record that told me, that tells you in retrospect that they were going to go somewhere else. And of course, that that takes us to what happened next, which is everything's gone green. Now, this is the moment, in my opinion at least, where New Order ceases being Joy Division, and they become New Order. Nothing that Joy Division had ever done, in fact, nothing that any band had ever done before sounds like everything's gone green i am i'll admit just so hugely impressed by this song which is a marvel of tape loops sequencers and uh a drum beat that you know has that wet slap four on the floor thing that it turns into one of the darkest dance hits i've ever heard in my life uh again what is the what does the lyric mean what does the title mean title means nothing in fact they picked almost all of their titles off of like art films french and <laughs> german and english art films so cries and whispers everything's gone green ceremony your silent face these are all movie titles by the way they're not usually lyrically related to what the songs are about it's very telling it gives them a cinematic feel but it also allows you to not focus on the words focus on the sound which you hear in everything's gone green with that nagging riff first time i heard it pouring out of my speakers in the car when i bought substance was the moment where i thought okay this band is nothing like i expected them to be coming from joy division but this band is something special they kept that Darkness in a way, um, and I think one reason, like you, I, I enjoy uh, New Order more than Joy Division, and uh, they're very different bands, especially as uh, New Order matures and uh, kind of re-defines re, uh, itself. But uh, what's always interesting about them is they have, they're lighter than Joy Division, but there's always that kind of 
the touch of darkness, the yin and the yang. There's always that melancholy feel. There's a shadow um, in the, the corner back. of the and room always. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, yeah, it, it's like you see a beautiful you see a beautiful field and there's a snake somewhere in the grass. You don't know exactly when it's going to come out, <laughs> but um, it just makes it so much more interesting, especially than their contemporaries, because um, I assume I'm older than you guys. I was uh, I graduated high school in 84. So I started getting into New Order just by stealing my brother's LPs and scratching the living hell out of him. Hopefully he won't listen to this <laughs> podcast. And, uh, you know, trying to learn about music because he knew everything about music. And But um, what was just so interesting about him is just the other bands at the time, it was just let's get a couple Casio keyboards and, you know, put some weird held, hair gel uh, to spike up our hair in, in an interesting way than that last band did on MTV. And let's just kind of moan lyrics and pose in front of the cameras. Uh, New Order was the opposite of all that. They had this tethering to rock, and uh, Peter Hook was really the guy who did that for him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He was, I, I would say, Stephen Morris is an excellent drummer. He's like a metronome almost. Um, but... Peter Hook just w had the ability to carry a song with a bass, which was almost unheard of, playing these high notes, carrying the melody, and uh, letting the other band kind of create the music around that is the hook, which was very different. So you kind of had that rock feel, and also just a depth, too. They were so... I guess we, we'll need to get into cover designs. I was going to say they aren't image-obsessed, but... They hid from the public. You didn't. Their faces were not on the cover. They were not making fifteen splashy videos, mugging for the camera. Look how cute we are. Uh, there were there was always this distance to them, this um, artistic distance where you didn't know exactly who these guys were, and they weren't interviewed as much. And it's like, what are these guys doing? What are they thinking? Um, you you would just get a new single or get a new album and say, wow, how did they make those noises? That's pretty amazing. I mean, it, the thing about Everything's Gone Green, as you point out, that that's not a song, really, except for the fact that Peter Hook holds it together with his bass, which keeps chiming and like, do, 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 these little, little notes, that, you know, the interjections that go throughout the song. And then you have that robotic, sinister riff, you know, and it just feels like there's something really, really ominous grinding away. Like uh, this is this is the the sound of Fritz Lang's Metropolis to me, or, or maybe even <laughs> you know Terry Gilliam doing 1984 Brazil rather. You know, there's just some some industrial grinding metal that is churning away, and I would. You would sit there without any kind of context, no pictures of the band, no no words to read, and all you would have is the name. Everything's gone green, and you would have this sound. You would have these lyrics that mean nothing. Show me, please show me the way. What what does it mean? And you would just sort of listen to the music, and it would conjure a sound in your head.
flip side of that single is Perception, which is in a lot of ways sort of like one of the last songs they did that sounds like it could be a Joy Division song. But it's just, you know, these these two synthesizer notes, these chords that, you know, alternate. And then, of course, Peter uh, Peter Hook just goes, you know, with the dum do dum do 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 dum do dum And then, bam, you know, Stephen Morris just starts playing at a mile a second. And it seems like indescribably haunted music with a sadness and a darkness that is nowhere found in the words, but it's in the music and you can never quite get at why it's there. You just know it's there and it nags at you. I remember hearing this music and not quite being able to put my finger on what it was I found so ineffable about it, but I could not stop listening to it. That to me is what early New Order is about. And that's very quickly what they were going to start moving away from with their next single. So that's a good segue. That's where I wanted to go next. This works out well. Um, yeah, I mean, the very next single is is Temptation. And, I, you know, this this progression, which was about 18 months or so during this time between movement and, 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 and power corruption and lies, where they were becoming what they were, becoming New Order, moving a, a, away from Joy Division and figuring out how they wanted to sound. To me, Temptation, again, is a big step forward. Up-tempo song with a pretty big chorus and uh, kind of a, a celebration song, music as as a release. Uh, I I do like the re-recorded version better though uh, from sure. from the from Substance. Um, the, the the this single is a it's a little hard around the edges. It's softened when they redo it in '87. I think the vocal delivery from Sumner is so much better in the '87 version uh, than than the single version in in '82. A little flat in the vocal delivery. But, man, the guitar, I love the way that, I think it's actually probably Hook's bass, which is hugging the melody in some of the lyrics of Temptation, especially in the 87 version. And it's the first time, to me, I, I like Temptation better than every, Everything's Gone Green and, and, and better than the, uh, the original Ceremony, too. First time, to me, that, that, that what New Order is and what they are going to be sort of really comes into focus. It's a terribly produced song. I have to point that out. The original version is terribly produced. And why is that? Because they had finally ditched Martin Hannett. Mm-hmm. Hannett was a great producer for Joy Division. And he actually did a very nice job with their first album, for what it's worth. You know, there aren't any actual songs on that damn thing, but he did as good as he could <laughs> with it. And with Everything's Gone Green, but he had drug problems. And I think he was actually still not entirely over the death of Ian Curtis. He sort of got lost in, lost in himself and he was becoming unproductive in the studio. So this is where New Order starts producing themselves and it shows. Everything gone, is Gone Green has a really focused sound, despite the fact that it's rather avant-garde for a song. Temptation sounds like a mess, and there's a reason that they re-recorded it when they did it for Substance. It is a fantastic song in its own right, though. And by the way, what they're singing about, man, that is, let's just be honest, that's drugs. They, they even released the, <laughs> they released a DVD of a performance from this era, from like late 1981, and the name of it is called Pumped Full of Drugs. All right? So let's, just, let's be very clear that this is acid, all right? <laughs> they're, 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 they, are, uh, they are tripping the light fantastic on Temptation. Uh, but of course, what, what's the most important aspect of Temptation is that this is, you know, for the first time, everything has gone green, had that, uh, that, that sort of industrial goth sound, almost could... Boy, you know, you almost feel like it could be a killing joke song in an alternate universe. Um, but Temptation was dance music. 
Temptation was music where you wanted it to go on in a club and it was upbeat. Everything's mm-hmm. gone green. It was dark and very scary and yeah. very strange. Temptation is just celebratory. It's a happy song about, yeah, you know, getting high off of your mind and, uh, you know, you know, dancing till you fall down in some darkened club at, you know, you know, 4.30 a.m. in Manchester on a Saturday night. But it's a significant turn for the band in terms of their orientation. They wanted to write a fun dance song, uh, an upbeat, an optimistic, a celebratory song, which is just so different from everything that had come before. And that's why it's you know, obviously considered one of the most important things in their career. I agree completely. They really uh, emerged as their own band uh, with this single. And uh, yeah, the production is atrocious. <laughs> um, yeah, they got tired of uh, Martin Hannett, a very odd fellow, a, a genius in his own way, especially producing Joy Division. But they wanted to figure out this stuff for themselves. And they were tired of getting screamed at and yelled at and insulted nonstop during these endless recording sessions with uh, Martin. So it, another thing that affected Temptation a lot as well is they when they went to the States, uh, they did a few dates in, um, in New York City and went to the clubs. They didn't know what was going on. There were these kids from Manchester. They hadn't traveled much. And other than, you know, across the pond a little bit, uh, a few concerts in Belgium and Paris – but going to New York and going to dance clubs and hearing these um, beats, these electro beats and beats coming out of Detroit, they were like, wow, this is an entire new world. Let's uh, play around with that. Let's figure out what to do. They also, on that first trip to New York City, had all their equipment stolen. And uh, I know <laughs> Peter Hook in one of his uh, – he's an excellent writer. Uh, he's written about a book about Joy Division, a book about New Order, and a book about the Hacienda, their uh, famous club mm-hmm. in Manchester, uh, which uh, they pretty much lost uh, lost their shirts financially. But, uh, but had a great really time doing them. it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it really forced them to reevaluate, okay, what is it we want to do here? Let's uh, – you know, we have – little money coming in here and there from the back catalog of joy division. Let's get some more sequencers. Let's, let's play around with this stuff. Let's figure out how they work. And this wasn't the, you know, quickie little, 
you know, keyboards or what we see now with computers where you just plug, plug in exactly what you want and you get out what you want. They're very temperamental machi- machines, a lot of analog machines, and you just kind of had to figure out how to make these things work, and you couldn't always make them work live, as you mentioned. Literally, if the voltage wasn't exactly right live, like the sequencers and the keyboards wouldn't play at the right pitch. Right. So everyone else would be out of tune with the sequencer. <laughs> I have so many shows from this era where it's just a complete mess. It's hilarious. Like You, it, you wouldn't want to listen to it for anything other than pure amusement, but it, it happened all the time. Right. And you're in a hot club and it's more humid than the last place you played. And so everything sounds different. <laughs> okay, So this brings us, of course, to uh, what I would say is the, the true moment where New Order embraces who New Order is and becomes a completely different band. This is the, the, the moment where they, they bid final farewell and a loving farewell in a lot of ways to the, the legacy of Joy Division. They'll, you know, Ian Curtis is still an inspiration for, for the band, for, for Sumner in particular. But on the album Power, Corruption, and Lies in 1983, this is material that they had been working up ever since about early 82. So they'd had a year to steep on this. They didn't put out an album in 82. They put out all those singles that we've discussed. Uh, and the first thing that they appeared with right before the album is a song that you might have heard of. It is the biggest-selling 12-inch single in the entire history of music, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little something called Blue Monday, and the way you might know it is boom, 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 that robotic, repetitive drumbeat. And, of course, the story behind it is that they hated playing encores. They absolutely hated playing encores in shows. Sometimes riots would break out because they would, you know, they'd play for 30 minutes and be like, ah, we're done, we're pissing off to the pub. And so what they thought about doing is, why can't we come up with an idea for a song that we can use as an encore where none of us actually even have to be out there playing? (laughs) We'll just set up a drum machine, we'll set up a synthesizer loop, and we'll just go, you know, as I said, knock off down to the pub while it's playing, and the punters in the audience will be happy anyways. That's where the original drum beat idea and synth loop idea for for, for Blue Monday came from. And of course, it didn't end up working out that way because, you know, Barney had to go put a vocal on it, Stephen (laughs) Morris had to go play drums so they ended up having to play it anyways, and they got really tired of it pretty fast because it is a pretty robotic song. But what to make of this song, which almost in my mind unexpectedly became their signature number? I like Blue Monday a lot. I think everyone does. But I'm not sure why this is the song that everyone knows by them and not you know, 15 other conceivable choices. I think part of it is, um, and being the uh, the old geezer here who kind of <laughs> saw what came before, what was going on in music, it was really a quantum leap. Um, you had dance music in general was uh, viewed with suspicion, if not outright contempt, especially in the States. I don't think it ever uh, hit Britain as bad, but kind of the anti-disco thing that was going on in the 70s, which was so so much of that music got pretty egregious and pretty pretty hackneyed. And you had a big backlash to it. And this was, oh, wow, it's cool to like dance music again. That was something that was interesting. And also the creation story of it, it reminds me of Bohemian Rhapsody with Queen, with Freddie Mercury just 
oh, okay, now I've done this. I've laid down this base. Let me try this. Let me add this. Let me, <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> just completely being obsessive and adding and subtracting and tweaking and perf perfecting it. And it really sounded like nothing else out there. And I think one thing that's really impressive about it, you have that robotic kraut rock beat going on there, just pounding uh, much faster than what you're used to with uh, dance music and much more subtle as well. And then you just have uh, Barney's just dispassionate vocals laid on there. Looks like he can't even be bothered to get out of bed to sing this thing, if you can call it singing. Um, so it's this really upbeat, fast-moving song with this, again, this kind of yin and yang, this melancholy feel to his lyrics. Uh, just, you know, sounds like he's complaining about a relationship. It's very relatable. Uh, but it's just a, a magic mix of the two. And then you have Peter Hook creeping in with a kind of this Eddie Morricone sounding bass line in the background. So it's fun and danceable, but there's also kind of this darker or melancholy or sinister um, subcurrent running through it, which makes it really different from what we would think of as disco or, you know, something out there. Hey, let's party all night. <laughs> Uh, so it's kind of a complex song, and this is a song, too, I could never get tired of. bring in uh album design new order was with factory records um tony wilson set them up never cared about making a profit <laughs> much to their <laughs> regret later on yeah. um, in their career but um he had peter seville and i have graphic design background so i basically worship this guy uh he would always come in way over budget and months later than he should have been doing it he was famous for he would be asked to design a flyer for an upcoming concert and he would deliver it a week after the show you know <laughs> just, you know there were just these crazy artistes basically excuse me i got a phone ringing here but there were these crazy artists who just wanted to create art and they didn't care what it cost or what you know who they ticked off to do it and he designed this cover that basically looked like a gigantic floppy disk which at the time was very modern you know we think of them as this uh, cheesy old thing he created this um inventive uh graphic uh color coding system so th there was like no information about the band on it especially the first releases all these crazy die cuts these weird cryptic color codings and uh once again uh, and, and the printing expenses were so high for it too because of all the colors yeah. that he used exactly. what's, the, what's, the, what's the joke that like it was the, it's the biggest selling 12 inch single they lost of all money time, on every sale. And, and they lost money on it because it cost so damn much exactly i think 
Yeah, the the figure I've heard it was it was uh, every copy they sold they lost four pence. So, uh, <laughs> but they didn't care because it was art, man. We're making a statement, and that's just something that again made them different from so many other contemporaries. All these you know fly by night one hit wonder synth pop bands that just flooded, especially in the mid eighties. Um, they were out there. They were artists, and they were out there to do what they wanted. Um, you, you know even if it destroyed their own uh, bank accounts. <laughs> you got to respect that. Oh, I know. The, uh, uh, John mentioned the, the kind of push-pull with the, the lyrics. There's a great push-pull, too, with the, with the, with the hook bass line and, and, and then that beat and the kind of, kind of going off of each other through the, uh, through the song, which is, which is fantastic. When your drum fill is iconic, I think you've, you've kind of hit on something. Uh, and Blue Monday is, it's never, you know, no matter how it became kind of the best known song, it's never going away at this point. It's on every, you know, 80s compilation you can think of. And any movie that wants to reference, uh, you know, the decade of the 80s somehow works Blue Monday into the soundtrack in some way, shape, or form. So it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily the, uh, the New Order sound, uh, but it, it, it represents it for many people who have not heard other songs, um, including ones on Power, Corruption, and Lies, if I can slide to the album. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is such a leap forward from movement, of course, and even from, I think, what they were doing with some of the singles. It's music, as we mentioned earlier, both for the radio and for the clubs, um, You know, depending on, on the track you want to hear and depending on the mood they're going for. It's a much more confident band. Uh, the vocals, uh, while still somewhat nonsensical, or at least not, uh, not not all that important, or at least out of the mud uh, of the mix, and you can you can decipher them a bit, a bit better. Age of Consent, which of course is the leadoff track, uh, New Order had a, had a great uh, habit of putting the, the, just a killer track as the first track on, on their albums. Age of Consent, of course, is no different. This is an amazing song, and it all starts with that, uh, baseline from Hook, which starts the song and basically carries through from beginning to end. If you write something that well, though, that, that magnificent, I guess it doesn't make a difference. You can play it from start to finish. But it really drives the song. And in and, and so many of New Order songs, you know, Hook's bass is what, what drives the melody, what, what drives it forward. And I was thinking of other bassists that kind of work that way inside the inside their respective group. And this is not a, you know certainly the music itself is not all that similar. But Tom Peterson of, uh, of Cheap Trick, a lot of their songs are built around and really powered by um, these Tom Peterson grooves on on bass, and somewhat of what I compare it to. Age of Consent is one of my favorite New Order songs. Morris is incredible. He holds it all together, uh, just so precise on the drum kit for uh, for Age of Consent. Wonderful song.
on the album. One of my favorite tracks I, I don't hear talked about a lot uh, is is Ultraviolence. I, I just really like that track. It's everything to me that movement is not. It's it's a full song. It's a powerful song. Uh, the drumming is not flat and slappy. It's it's really full. There's a rich guitar sound to it that that harkens a bit to Age of Consent as well. Um, I really like kind of the, the chaos and the rumbling along of of, uh, of ultraviolence uh, on this album. And the other song I'll, I'll point out quickly is um, uh, "The Village," uh, which which has this, this. Our love is like the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The rain, the sea, and the hours. And this is, by the way, if you ever want to know, like, don't worry about what Barney is singing. Yeah, man. it just doesn't matter. <laughs> but it's a it's a beautiful. I, I just love the the hook. I love that that that, that bubbling sequencer sound. I, I, there's there's a there's a part that comes about three minutes in or so where where, the, where the, there's this bubbly synth that plays a a melody under the. Uh, kind of the last 90 seconds or so of the song. that and again the, the lyrics don't make a difference whatsoever but uh th- those songs in particular and, and, and most of the album is just so powerful so confident and a band on firm footing so when apparently when this album first came out like a lot of old school joy division fans who had followed on with new order felt a little betrayed like oh no you know they're 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 abandoning what we loved about the old jd and the old new order for that matter and look at all these these cheesy synthesizers and all of this sort of euro pop sounds uh, of course in retrospect what we know is that this was what new order was going to make their their image as and how they were going to define themselves in mm-hmm. sort of the public consciousness but back then it was controversial to hear a song like your silent face which in a way sounds like you know maybe some sort of weird fusion of evangelis and uh you know uh you know you know, euro disco uh, I love the synthesizers on your silent face where they just come in. First of all, there's the sequencer, which, you know, just plays that dun da dun da dun da dun da dun, dun And then, you know, Jillian comes in with the swooping synths and then Peter Hook on the bass line. And then, uh, of all things, a harmonica. Why? Who knows? <laughs> just, you know, the harmonica just seems to fit. And who knows, again, what the lyrics to these songs mean. What they are is I remember probably the first time I ever played that song for my wife, she just stopped what she was doing and put her head up and paid attention to that because there's something about that loping groove that feels so assured and so confident and so well put together that um, you knew that this band had found something new. thought that never changes remains a stupid lie never been quite the same no hearing or breathing no movement no color just silence the rise and fall of shame search that shall remain we asked you what you'd seen you said you didn't 
And it, for me, the, for Power Corruption and Lies, I'm going to say right now, I think this is their best album as an album. I think of New Order as primarily a singles band, but if you have to give me one of their albums to take to the Desert Island, I'll take here. And the reason is that there are three songs in here that I consider among the finest they ever did uh, that aren't on you know any of their compilations or on, on you know, they were never released as singles. Age of Consent, Scott already talked about. Uh, Your Silent Face, I just mentioned. And then the last one I want to mention is Leave Me Alone. Um, Leave Me Alone is the single favorite, my single favorite New Order song of all time, and, and and that's an interesting one to use because it is really the most backward-looking song on this album. This is the one song that you could have seen Ian Curtis singing in this band in an alternate dimension where he did not kill himself, and they just moved onwards and grew, you know, took that path that might have been suggested by ceremony. Leave Me Alone is this haunting, elegiac. Uh, guitar duet and, and that's the other thing you think of Jillian as a synthesizer player in the band but she also played a lot of guitar she plays guitar on Ceremony on the remake version the, the famous one that when you think of the song Ceremony the one that comes to your, your mind most immediately she plays on that which is why it sounds way better than the original trio version mm. and she also plays here on Leave Me Alone it's it's Sumner on guitar and it's Gilbert on guitar and they're they're duetting with one another and they're trading these licks that, that sound almost Almost like, you know, I, I think in a way, I think of like, could it be like the edge from U2 in a different mood? I think, I think to myself of the sadness of this music, which does feel like the end of an era. It feels not only like the end of an album, but it feels like consciously the end of an era. It feels like New Order saying goodbye to what they were and closing the door on what they had been and sort of turning around and then facing the future afterwards. favorite song of theirs of all time just because that that rhapsody at the end when the guitars start just playing amongst one another weaving in and out is uh the most musically transcendent moment of new order's career in my opinion i'm amazed to hear you say that leave me alone is your favorite because when people ask me and my favorites by them have changed over the years but for the past probably five years, when people ask me, well, what's your favorite New Order track? I say, leave me alone. And they're like, yeah. what? <laughs> and most people say, leave me alone. What's that? You know, is that some new thing they just released? No. Exactly. It's a new. Yeah. Uh, right, right. And it is just that perfect mix of it, that's the New Order style right there. Uh, you have Hookie's bass line. Uh, you have that rock bass to it. You have the, I guess you could call it new wave uh, feel to it as well. Um, 
just the dispassionate lyrics, uh, that melancholy feel where it's very beautiful, but there's always just something kind of like a sad tinge, like you said. Um, and for these last of, few days, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. It's one of the few exactly. times the lyrics actually add something to this song. Right, right. I love really the lyrics do. to this. I jokingly call it my anthem because – I'm very introverted. <laughs> I just kind of, I'll, I'll have to go to a conference or something, and I can talk to people for a while, and I will hit a certain zone where I don't know. We've been talking a whole thirty minutes, and I'm like, okay, now I need to be alone in my hotel room for, for a while. And, <laughs> yeah, I know that uh, feeling. Yeah, yeah. So I absolutely love the lyrics of it. I love everything about this. It, it's very human. It's not uh, arty like an Ian Curtis lyric would be, but it just feels very, very real to me. Toes from my knees to my eyes Every time I watch the sky For these last few days Leave me alone But for these last few days Leave me alone Leave me alone Leave me This album is an absolute masterpiece, and I can see why people feel betrayed by those people who are like, no, don't change what we like about you. But no artist is just going to stay stagnant for their entire career, or they're not terribly good artists. They're just like, oh, we make money doing this. Let's just uh, rehash it endlessly. But uh, it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful album, start to finish. Your Silent Face I love, too, and that's a real farewell. I'm sure a lot of Joy Division fans hated it. Because it's so positive. It's so just the whole feel of it is just bubbly and upbeat and content. And um, yeah, you will have kind of the dispassionate vocals again, but you, it is not Joy Division. This is like we are a different band, we are different people. And uh, Jillian really adds a lot to that. Uh, she gets uh, slagged on a lot for, oh, she isn't a great musician. But the funny thing about New Order is none of them were musicians. They just decided to start a band. And uh, Stephen Morris turned out to be just an incredible drummer. <laughs> yeah, I'm listening to the bassist. concert recordings. These guys are not great. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, Steve Morris is actually a great drummer. He's yeah. the one who's like, oh, wow, like, I don't know how he drives that. And yeah. I think Pete, Peter Hook is a really good writer of bass lines, but yeah, these guys ain't virtuosos. Right, right. It is not. Uh, this is not prog rock. Uh, Dave Weigel is not going to be fanboying at the side of the stage <laughs> trying to figure out how the the fingering on the frets is working out. But uh, yeah, it's just a phenomenal album. This is actually this was my introduction to New Order uh, from my brother stealing the album from him, like every good little brother does. And um, it, but I was intrigued again. The art uh, has this strange color coding uh, where it's not just listing; it's not pictures of the band members uh, splashed everywhere. 
it's this classic bit of artwork uh, from France, I think the late 1800s, uh, with color coding. And I think I think they got it out of the National Gallery in, in London. And right. I think this, the story was that like Great story. They, they were going to put it on the cover, and then somebody said, oh, do you have the rights to use that? And he's like, well, isn't this owned by the people because it's in the National Gallery? And, and, and the person on the phone said, yeah, it is. And he said, well, the people are demanding it back. <laughs> so he put it on the cover and got away with it. And now it's right. iconic. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because it's this really forward-leaning music at the time. Uh, you hadn't heard music like this before. Um, again, you have a lot of uh, digital components to it, but you have this classical piece of artwork, a still life of a basket of roses, and then this kind of cryptic color coding on the side. This is why I love Peter Seville. But this album covers, this is one of the few bands where you really talk about their covers a lot uh, because – it was just this whole image that they had where they were just aloof. They were aloof from the scene. They were apart. They were separate. They were different. Uh, they weren't, you know, this is when MTV was coming into its own and you had all these sticky haircut bands who were trying to make their name and mugging for the camera and uh, plastering their face everywhere. With New Order, it was just different. They, they just, it, it reminds me, this is a strange comparison, it reminds me, uh, Joy Division New Order reminds me of uh, Nirvana and Foo Fighters in that Dave Grohl didn't need to prove that he was cool. And that's what most young artists do. They spend their first five albums trying to say, yeah, I'm cool. You should take me seriously. But he had done Nirvana. He's like, no, I am cool. I was in <laughs> freaking Nirvana for crying out loud. And that's the feel I always got from New Order. It's just like, we don't need you to love us. This is our music and it's great. And if you want to join us, Awesome. If you don't, we aren't going to make it easy for you. You need to you need to grow musically to appreciate us, and that's fine. We don't care. And so, and, and speaking but, of making fun of themselves, that's exactly what they did with the next album, which is Low Life. Mm-hmm. You know, after after spending all of this time being like you know, you know avoiding the cameras, avoiding interviews, avoiding their faces on records, what do they do? They put Stephen Morris right on the cover of the right. album. Right. Look at all self-serious and he's like looking downwards, you know, like, is this still from a movie? Nah, it's just the drummer. That's yeah. all it is. Exactly. That, that, of course, brings us to Low Life. They did some singles in between there. One of them is Confusion, which I think is probably their weakest uh, non-album single of this era. It's kind of a misbegotten attempt to do kind of a New York club dance thing with Arthur Baker, who but, was a big deal at the time. But there is a I portion, you, I was going to say, there's, there's just, just one little portion of Confusion that I love, and it's probably about halfway through when they're shouting uh, Confusion, and it's augmented by these heavy guitar riffs right after the, the, the shouts. I do love that part, I have to point out. Well, the one that I love, actually, is the follow-up to that, which is Thieves Like Us. Probably their most underrated non-album single, I would say. It's a very slow groover, again, named after a European art film. I think it's a Godard film, actually. And, uh, you, know, it, you know, talking about love, you know, and it belongs to everyone but us. And then you just have these, these very kind of lanky, slinky synthesizer lines that, that wind their way throughout it. And you have that drum beat, which... The first time you, you hear it, you think it sounds like kind of like a naturalistic funk beat or a soul beat. But then the more you listen to it, the more you realize how compressed and how treated the sound of the drums are. And, and it's actually a, a very weird flat sound that ends up working really well with the, with the synthesizers that end up winding their way in and out of it.
and it completely points the way to what would happen on Low Life. Now, Low Life is their third album, 1985, and I would say that despite the fact that there are some compromises on this record, they, they have an edited version of The Perfect Kiss, uh, which in its unedited 12-inch, eight-minute single version, maybe the, the quintessential New Order dance single of all time. Um, they have an edited version on the album, and that's a disappointment. But beyond that, I think this is a hugely underrated record. And uh, you know, you guys can all focus on different songs if you want, but for me, the one that I constantly come back to is Sooner Than You Think. I love Sooner Than You Think. I think it is one of the most fantastic songs of New Order's career. It begins with this very kind of almost Chinese-sounding synthesizer. And then it builds up into these guitars and synths and this just deep funk, uh, robotic funk groove that uh, basically is the mid-'80s in a nutshell. That, to me, is like, you want to say, what was the sound of dance music in 1985? It's sooner than you think. Split on this album, actually, and um, because, well, first of all, Love Vigilantes, I think, is is fa- fabulous. Look again, first track of an album uh, is perhaps the best track of the album in, in my mind, and this is one where the uh, the lyrics actually uh, tell a story. <laughs> there's, there's a point to the lyrics. A uh, soldier coming home and uh, looking forward to seeing his 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 wife. Wife got a letter that he had passed, and that wasn't true and she ended up killing herself so it's, it's like a country-esque set of lyrics and the the instrumentation to it is is almost certainly their most pop effort yet almost the most radio ready effort yet and uh very little electronics on it although there is a synth on, on the low end and, and a very nice kind of it's like the, they have a love me do harmonica yeah. i mean it's it sounds like it's like the Brit. It sounds like you know it's Liverpool Brit pop from the sixties. Suddenly, when it's when the, when the, the album Absolutely. begins. Absolutely, yeah. And um, that's one of my favorite New Order songs. I want to see my family. This time of night, I, I've always liked quite a bit too. I almost see it as a musical cousin uh, to uh, to uh, "How Soon Is Now" from the Smiths. Really capturing like this mood, uh, kind of dark but still energetic. 
Um, I love the sequencer uh, sound uh, on this time of night. Just a wonderful kind of atmospheric. It really captures, again, kind of this darkness. Uh, I like that quite a bit. It's that last third of the album or so that I, I'm just not sure about. And I know that includes the, the song that Jeff just praised. I'm not in love with it. I, I was trying to kind of put it into words. I, I, I think those songs are a little too locked in to some of the sequencer beats that are being used. And it's not as... It doesn't have as much of as, as an organic sound to some of those songs. Uh, Face Up, for example, I think actually is not a terrible song, but it works mainly because of that delivery of the vocals. Musically, I'm not blown away by it. Uh, and, and those last three songs, the last three songs of the album, all sort of feel that way to, to me. And I mean, Peter Saville, they, they released Subculture as a single after the album came out. And, and Saville... You know, famously, they did a remix of it uh, to make it a little more poppy with all those orchestra hits and all those mm-hmm. those kinds of things that kind of sound dated now. <laughs> and Saville famously hated it so much that he declined to make a cover for it. He just said, <laughs> you know, th- th- this sounds like, I'm, I think I'm going to quote him directly, he's like, this sounds like shit, so I'm not, not going to do anything for it. I actually like it a lot. I mean, I'm not supposed to. This is the, the one New Order single that we're all supposed to dislike. I really love, I really 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 love the subculture uh, single <laughs> version they edited it down for substance because they realized that uh, it went on at least two and a half minutes too long on its original <laughs> version uh, but it sounds really great on substance uh, despite the fact that it is the opposite of sooner than you think which I don't think is dated at all subculture is dated on that single mix but it's dated in a great fun 80s way that you know makes me feel like the way like Madonna music sounds dated from the 80s but who cares because man the 80s were a really fun time to be alive everyone was doing a lot of coke and voting for ronald reagan you know (laughs) yeah the 80s about subculture i understand why you think it sounds robotic however yeah john Uh, your thoughts another fantastic album um again design geek love the design and uh the kind of uh in your face oh you'd never think we put our faces on the album cover and including all of them with the original artwork in uh 
uh, on the LP release way back when. But um, my favorite song off this album has to be The Perfect Kiss. It's just brilliant. Uh, there is actually a live video. Uh, the director was a very young Jonathan Demi. And they, he just has the band play and he films them. And if, so it sounds a little different. I really wish that track was available to buy because that's even uh, more perfect than the one on Low Life. But Perfect Kiss is just an amazing song. And yeah, they just, they have more confidence. Uh, the meddling with Arthur Baker, I'm not a fan of him. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, oh, let's make a pop hit was kind of his mentality. Uh, Bernard Sumner loved him. Peter Hook was like, ugh. Who's this guy? But he didn't say guy. Um, he's written several <laughs> wonderful books, and hearing the British slangs and insults to various people are uh, worth the price of admission right there. But it's really an excellent uh, song. Um, really like Elegy is kind of interesting. I like uh, Sunrise is a beautiful song. Yeah. Subculture, yeah. it's not deep, but it's catchy. And so <laughs> that's what that I'll listen to. It's like, oh, this is fun. So... That is, and hopefully you don't hear my cat. My cat decided to visit because he is also a big Norder fan. Yeah, we we, we, totally, we totally heard your cat, and, and yeah, he, he's a big he's a big fan of Sooner than you think too. I think. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. Loves, loves Sooner than you think. So, Sunrise quickly features one of my favorite moments in in uh, New Order, and uh, there's this wall of synths that that builds about midway through the song, and then it all fades out or you know goes away releases to this just guitar playing the melody of the song i love that part of of sunrise yeah it really is beautiful and that takes us uh through another few non-album singles and again this is when they're they're just pumping them out with 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 real assurance you know these are these are good songs i don't know if you really need to spend too much time on them i mean shell shock is one of those ones that i think is a good song but it would have been better without you know some they these these little mid eighties ticks where you're like you're redoubling, you know, uh, you know parts of the track like that kind of like almost the CD equivalent of a scratching, I suppose, <laughs> is what they were trying to do. It doesn't hold up, but the song itself is just you know like wow, well, you know, just another epic hook. It's never enough until your heart stops beating. Shame of the nation or state of the nation. Shame of the nation is the B side. Another fantastic not album single, but then that takes us to brother. And believe it or not, this is actually the moment where New Order becomes big in America. Big as they'll ever get, because of course this is truly a British band. We're talking about an underground band, a club band. Uh, but if you were alive in the 80s, uh, and even if you were alive after the 80s, I was alive in the 80s, but I was six years old at this time. Uh, <laughs> uh, but everybody knew, and this is the one song on when I bought Substance I heard the 12-inch single version of this song, not the original album version, but when it finally got to Bizarre Love Triangle, my ears perked up, and I was like, oh, oh, that, that's New Order? I had no idea that was New Order. I'm not supposed to like this song because it's a little bit poncy, but I love this song. <laughs> You know, with all the, like the like the very celestial synths played by Jillian. It's a song that has seven different hooks on it. Seven different hooks all thrown together at once. You know, it starts with the uh, the Peter Hook bass. You know, and then you have you know Barney singing those lyrics, which are pretty pretty catchy. And then you go into that great synth breakdown. That synth breakdown, which is just you know, again. 
other bands would have gone straight into every time I see you come and I get down on my knees and pray. Uh, they would they would go to that chorus, but instead New Order has that beautiful synth interlude that pre-choruses it and just makes a song that was already great truly transcendent. Everybody knows, at least everybody with a certain level of musical literacy knows Bizarre Love Triangle. It is the highlight of Brotherhood and, and in fact, kind of unfairly dominates the rest of this album, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I also think has a lot of other underrated tracks on it. But, you know, let's just, you know, first, you know, let's just talk about the big, the big one. You know, what do you think of Bizarre? I think it is absolutely fantastic. I love it. And this one takes me back in time, being a bit older. Joined the Navy. Uh, my first year was 1985 uh, in various schools in Chicago. There was this crazy all-ages club uh, called Club Medusa's in uh, Chicago. And yeah, you might be familiar with it, Jeff. I'm not sure. But uh, it really attracted the whole Wax Tracks record scene. And you had Morrissey play there. You had Trent Reznor playing there and his band wearing a skinny tie. He was not... <laughs> He was not edgy nine-inch nails guy at the time. And uh, this is a song. uh, These are the songs they would play. They would play at this Medusa's. They would play Blue Monday. And uh, another uh, school I had for nuclear power school in Orlando, Florida, there was a weird little club called Faith in Physics. I still love that name. And uh, Bizarre Love Triangle would come on. And it was just, this is it. And I'm, again, I'm an introvert. Why would I go to a club when I can be at home and brood and try to impress? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the girls don't see me, but I bet they really realize how deep I am. And, you know, reading uh, Camus or whatever, smoking my clove cigarettes. But these are both tracks and Bizarre Love Triangle. It's happy. It's joyous. You know, it's a celebration. And, you know, as much as I'll want to be brooding and grumpy. This came on and I had to dance. I had to celebrate is just like, this is just an amazing track. And like you say, there's just so much depth to it. Um, You can tell they worked a long time, you know, adding this, subtracting that. And it's just beautiful. And it's strange in that it's happy and poppy, but it isn't trite. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. like, no, this is a band. They can go dark, but they they were in a great mood apparently when they made this and it's really great. Jillian contributes a whole lot to that. Um, this is where you really see um, not that you could replace Ian Curtis, but uh, switching Ian Curtis with Jillian. This is the difference that it makes. 
Right. And, Scott? you know, my um, exposure to the track, and, you know, the, the, the single version, the 12-inch, sounds so much different than the album version, but I, I know the album version so much better because that's the version we would play in our college radio station, which is where I was exposed to a whole lot of bands that I had never uh, heard of before, largely due to uh, requests that would come in. And I got a lot of requests for Bizarre Love Triangle and ended up playing a lot of the album version, so that might be why I'm partial to the album version, in fact. It's a great song. You know, if you're gonna just going to play one song that, you know, that, you, that someone would be most likely to enjoy from New Order, it's probably this one. It's just undeniable in its catchiness and the way it, it sort of grabs you and pulls you through thanks to its uh, kind of buoyancy uh, through the song. Uh, but it's fantastic. The synths and, 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 and the bass playing with each other and, and, and ending up in a, just a fantastic track. So, yeah, I mean, Bizarre Love Triangle is tough to tough to top. it. as I think Jeff said, kind of unfairly dominates the album. I come back to Brotherhood and actually find myself liking it kind of more and, and more. Um, and, and I think one of the issues I have with, with bands that are, are reliant or, or use the sort of sequencer synth so much is that it's not done extreme. It's not done well, just right, I should say. It, it kind of leaves me cold. It, but Brotherhood is an album where I don't think there's a track that I that I really dislike. Um, I don't know if it, it reaches the heights of perhaps some other albums. Um, I, for example, I mean, I, I think Love Vigilantes is better than probably just about anything on Brotherhood. But I like Brotherhood from start to finish. It's an easier listen, even if it is kind of split into like a rock side and, and a dance side. Uh, but I mean, Paradise. Is uh is just this vibrant song, this is great, great up tempo yeah. song. Weirdo has this just guitar <laughs> shimmer on Sumner's part that is great, and a just really over the top kind of chorus. Um, Broken Promise I like a lot. It's big chunky guitar riffs and a and a yeah. fast kind of dancey disco drum track from Morris that really pulls it through. <laughs> second side which is kind of the more dancey which is almost pulled through some of the more uh electronic kind of moments from low life i like a whole lot of those songs too obviously bizarre love triangle all day long uh every every little counts uh with kind of the thrown off laughing lyrics is a fine way to end the album so i i think almost more so than any other new order release this is when i return to more often and say you know maybe it's better than i uh, thought it was me um uh, all day long from Brotherhood is, is uh, you know, my favorite Christmas single of all time. 
uh, which is funny because it's it, it's not nominally a Christmas song, and this wasn't released around Christmas. But oh, come in, come on, you listen to all day long with the little <clears throat> It sounds like it's a holiday single. I have no idea why they decided to make this song sound like it's like you know. We wish you a Merry Christmas, but it does. <laughs> and it has that 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 uh very, you know, you know, loving and embracing warm corral feel to it that is of course at you know complete odds with the lyrics if you pay attention to the lyrics. We used to scream and shout all day long. I think it sounds like it's like about like domestic disputes or something like that. Um and <laughs> the, the, the music is just so lovely and then they even like the violins come in and they have a little little violin cesura and then it goes right back into that that descending choral line that I find to be such a, a an unexpected turn from New Order. <laughs> any bad songs on this album I, I would say that angel dust and weirdo are probably the lesser of the uh, uh songs on the record but if you're talking about the first half sec versus second half guitars versus since i'd say broken promise is, is just like what scott said that is the uh, maybe the most underrated song on the album i love the absolutely cacophonous guitar playing on that record again that's another one where it, it, it's 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 Barney and Jillian playing off of one another. And then by the end of it, you know, when they're going through that chorus, uh, they are like playing these very clashing chords that end up being far more dramatic and climactic than you would expect from New Order. And it's kind of like after having established their identity, they started off as, you know, a Joy Division imitating band. Then they, they carved out this dancey sort of dark groove and then they went to a more light dance club based groove and now all of a sudden they're, they're reminding you again you know what we know how to play guitars we actually know how to make rock music and we're going to remind you that this is what we are capable of doing and Broken Promise is that one song on the album that seems so unlike everything else on the record that I, I admire so greatly precisely because it upends your expectations that that's uh you know my opinion on an album that i still rank a little lower than low life or power corruption and lies but i think it's damn good 
And of course, that brings us finally to uh, what I had already said at the jump uh, of this show is uh, one of the greatest compilation albums ever released. One of the most fantastic best of records of all time. It is called Substance 1987. It is uh, when its original vinyl form, it was a two vinyl, double vinyl uh, collection of all of their single A sides, but you need to get the CD version because it's a double CD. The first disc is the 12-inch version. Some of them are judiciously edited of everything from Ceremony up into uh, a song that I'll discuss in a second. And then disc two is all of the B sides for the most part, the ones that you really need to hear. Is this the greatest album, a compilation album released during the 1980s? And if not, what could plausibly come close to it? I take this question to you, John Gabriel. It, ap- it absolutely is the finest uh, singles collection compilation that any band did in the 80s and one of my favorite of all time easily. Um, the origin story behind this one is uh, Tony Wilson, uh, head honcho of Factory Records, when he was uh, cruising around his Jag, he really wanted to uh, listen to the New Order singles, and he didn't have a little 45 player in his Jag, So, <laughs> but he had this newfangled thing called a CD player. So he's like, oh, I'm going to make a CD. I might as well release it. Once again, they don't care about money, finances, but it was very important to bring them, especially to the States, where we hadn't seen all these singles unless you were very cool and hung out at the cool record stores and were able to find these imports. They were uh, tricky to find. And it, it really revolutionized. It was like, wow, this is an amazing band because every track is phenomenal. I love, again, the artwork is just so clean, so simple. Peter Seville design just says New Order, Substance, 1987, nothing else. Again, we have nothing to prove. This is our music. It's awesome. <laughs> and if you don't like it, it's your problem, uh, pretty much. Uh, but, yeah, I remember buying this uh, the double CD disc, and it was like this uh, – holy relic that I carried around. I wouldn't let anyone borrow it. No, don't touch it. Don't look at it. Like Nigel Tufnell <laughs> with his guitars. And uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. And ever like I said, it's one of those things. Usually you have, oh, here's a couple hits. Here's a couple crap B-sides that we didn't know what else to put on it. And uh, I don't know, here's a couple covers we do. And they're, they're just like, oh, okay, fast forward through this one, through this one, you know, skip around. This one, perfection start to finish. Love it. The purity of it is is so remarkable. They even played a few little games, subtle games with it to make it even more perfect as a running order, as a, as a, as a track sequence. Procession, which I actually like a lot as a song. Yeah. That was originally an A-side, but they put it on the B-sides disc mm-hmm. just because it. this is the thing that makes it sound so miraculous. These songs are, for the most part, in fact, actually for the entirety, just chronological from ceremony all the way to the end, the true faith. And uh, they don't do anything. They just let them all play back to back to back to back to back to back and it sounds like an album that was put together on purpose and sequenced this way on purpose but it wasn't it was just the natural growth and development of this group from something completely different in their genesis to what they were at that moment in 1987 uh scott i'm sure i've stomped all over you here what was your thought (laughs) well i mean we we've talked about at least a handful of these songs uh previously uh, you know from the original release um or at least at the time when they were originally released. The one that, um, I'll, I'll point out, you know, you mentioned Thieves Like Us earlier. Thieves Like Us is one of my favorite New Order songs. It'll be on my, my, my top five. 
at the at the end of the show. I, I love the dueling synth and bass melodies in there. I, I just love that those crunchy guitar punches through Thieves Like Us. It's one of the more overlooked tracks. And then um, uh, True Faith, which is which is on here as well. Another fantastic, fantastic bass line from uh, Hook, which, which again, is just repeated through the whole song. You know what New Order proves time and again is that repeated doesn't mean boring, necessarily. Repeated doesn't mean that you're going to get tired of hearing something. It's, if it's pulled off well enough and it's surrounded uh, by other instruments or surrounded by, by another melody, perhaps, uh, or a synth line, it can still be really interesting. True Faith uh, doesn't have a guitar solo or any sort of solo. It just allows this space for the kind of jangly rhythm to kind of take center stage for a while toward the center part of the song. And um, I, I love, too, the way it all sort of bleeds together. There's no separation between uh, verse, pre-chorus, chorus. Everything flows right into each other, and, and it's a great, great song. just it's such a wonderful album and true faith is a good example too of you had so many of these like synth pop bands with the dark you know depeche mode you think you know just these kind of dark seedier aspects and again i think part of it was you know all these bands and i like depeche mode but they're trying to be cool look how edgy we are and true faith is i get down on my knees and pray and it's bright and it's content you still have, you know, that snake in the grass, you know, something in the background is a little bit melancholy, a little bit sad, uh, but they weren't afraid just to, you know, basically write a love song. Yeah, I mean, in true faith, a lot of people, when I mentioned, when I sort of dropped hands, of course, that we'd be doing New Order, and this mm-hmm. week, people are like, talk about true faith. Well, there's not a lot I'd say about true faith. It is <laughs> one of their great songs, you know? Yeah. And that chorus, you know, I used to think that the day, I used to think that the day would never come. Uh, just a beautiful, poppy, upbeat lyric. And this, again, I don't know how they, how they do it so effortlessly. How do they come up with these massive oceanic hooks? Didn't even seem like they were trying. And then they threw away one of our best songs on the B-side, which is a song about uh, – this is as, as weird as it gets. This is Bar- Barney Sumner's personal conspiracy theory about how JFK had Marilyn Monroe assassinated. And I guarantee <laughs> you, you're going to listen to the lyrics of 1963. You're never going to get that from them because it makes no damn sense whatsoever. But 1963 is a wonderful, wonderful song. And, yeah, you know, you know, now you know what it means why Marilyn is singing, Johnny, don't point that gun at maybe like what i think again drugs yeah that's usually my explanation for these things it's usually drugs um but yeah what a wonderful song they even did there's there's a arthur baker later on like a decade later did a remix of it uh you can find it on the retro box set if you're really interested in hunting these things down that i think is the superb the superlative version of it 
the uh, original B-side is a little more thumpy and thunky. Uh, but yeah, what a great B-side. What a great non-album single. And yeah, it was just sort of the loss leader for Substance. And that, of course, takes us to the moment where they sort of bring this club music into the sort of certainly the British mainstream. They come out of the darkness and into the light because what is happening? Well, the club scene is exploding. You have uh, fellow label mates like Happy Mondays are becoming big. You have Shoegaze that is becoming big. You have the Northern club scene, uh, the Manchester scene that is becoming mainstream down in London, the Balearic sound, which is, you know, like people going to Ibiza and like, you know, having, you know, you think of college students, girls gone wild, basically, <laughs> the British version of that. Uh, and, and that's Technique, which is a, a, an album. I'd say it's their last truly great album. It's a very interesting album in that unlike any of their other previous albums, it is an album that to me sounds and feels like it is distinctly of its time and place. Not in a bad way. These songs are really good. But when you listen to songs like Find Time, around and around uh, you hear the sound of you know the british and sort of international new york los angeles tokyo london club scene and you know again the party scene in the south of spain and you hear that time you hear that place you can you can hear the stone roses playing out of a speaker in the corner somewhere as well in a way that you don't hear when you listen to say brotherhood or low life or power corruption and lies technique is is an album that feels 1989, 1990, down to its core. I don't really think it's any poorer an album for that, however. So I, uh, I'm not a big fan of, of Technique. Um, the singles, uh, Fine Time, Round and Round, I, I don't love. Although Run, which I think was the third single from the album, which now gets a co-credit to John Denver for writing it because they kind of nicked the uh, <laughs> leaving out a jet plane uh, melody during, during the break in the song. Uh, I don't mind that. Uh, that one too much. I, you know, I, I, I do think all the way, which you think is the second track, is a great song. Um, it's got a great melody. Um, the I don't give a damn what all these people say kind of the repeated motif, and and there's another great uh, bass line from from Hook on all the way. I think it's one of their great tracks that doesn't get mentioned all that much. But uh, on the whole, I'm not a big, big fan of, of, of technique, um, and I can't necessarily put a put a big finger on exactly what leaves me so cold about it. Except uh, there's not a ton that jumps out at me as saying these are these are classic songs. These are ones that are going to uh, be be on on, on, a, on a top ten list of, of New Order songs through their career. Um, and there's kind of a power struggle happening between. I think Peter Hook even said somewhere it's, it's a power struggle between the, the sequencer and me, uh, meaning who would kind of take control and, and sort of run uh, the album. You know, the album was put together, as Jeff mentioned, in, in an environment where there was a whole lot of partying going on. 
and a, a whole lot of things that I'm, not, I'm just not, not sure how much that would have played into the, the final output, but I've, I've always kind of been left a little cold by technique. Yeah, I absolutely adore technique. And again, I, I think part of it too, um, since I saw these things develop, you know, I could kind of see them develop, compare them to other musical acts going on at the time. Um, I had gotten out of the Navy, I was in college, and I was so cool. And and I would play fine time blasting it in my groovy little Nissan Sentra with my huge speakers <laughs> that rattled the doors. And, you know, I probably uh, blew out my windows at some time. They were so loud. But I thought I was very cool. But um, I really like technique. And, yeah, All the Way is kind of – it is completely unheralded. And I this is an album that I can listen to start to finish. And I used to just listen to a track here or there, but over the years, I've liked it more and more. Part of it, again, it is like the nostalgia thing. It is of its time. You know, it is really 1989, Ibiza, party scene, this Manchester scene going on. Um, And yeah, if you need to figure out how they made any kind of lyrics or most of this music, especially if I'm time... Peter Hook discovered ecstasy, and the uh, all bets were off after that point. They uh, noodled <laughs> around at Ibiza for a long time, getting nothing done, and finally uh, uh, they they got their act together and released an album. But even the cover of the 12-inch single of Fine Time was this abstract of a bunch of pills. So, <laughs> yeah, again, kind of uh, pumped full of uh, pumped full of drugs again. Um, but it, it really is a fantastic album. I like the production on it. And it, again, shows them evolving, evolving with the time, because a lot of 80s bands there, as this dance scene really took off, you had the rave scene taking off once Ecstasy hit uh, Britain. And it's just like, yeah, we're moving with the music. We're a little bit ahead of where other bands are at the time. And they weren't they, they weren't kind of uh, lost in the shuffle like so many one-hit wonder 80 bands were, especially in the synth-pop era. That's the, actually a really good point to make, John, which is that a lot of other bands sort of got swept under by the changing times, changing trends. New Order was always surfing that wave. Right, right. Yeah. And it's like Fine Time was the first time I had heard, wow, this is like rave culture before, you know, I live in Arizona. We did right. have a lot of raves <laughs> out here, you know. Uh, you go to the country bar and there was just not much of a scene there. Yeah, there's so, a lot of line dancing, but not right. a lot of not a lot of raving, right. No, exactly. I, I not a lot of glow sticks going on there. Right, right. And this was my introduction to it. And after that, I got into other bands which have not really stood the test of time. 808 State and you had, you know, all these Manchester bands coming out. Uh, Happy Mondays were soon to emerge, but 
Find Time was like my introduction to, wow, there's this whole new scene. And this is the pre-internet days. You couldn't just get online. Ah, oh, what, what cool is happening in Spain this weekend? You know, you, you can't do that. <laughs> and so you would just get little fits and starts of what is this new culture emerging? And like you said, they were, they were riding the crest of that wave with Find Time. So I, I, I think the hit singles on this record, to me, have always been less impressive than the sort of the deeper album tracks on it. Find time and round and round, the big ones. And, uh, you know, I was actually joking with Scott about this uh, before you joined us, John, uh, before the show, but like, you know, the orchestra hits on round and round that it starts <laughs> with, you know, uh-huh. I mean, that must have sounded all hip, new and cool at the time, <laughs> but oh my God, is there a very, that's the thing. So many of like, you know, Blue Monday, even with the drum machine, it doesn't sound dated right it doesn't feel like it's aged but man those orchestra hits on round and round that you just almost <laughs> groan you're like oh dude no no such bad taste very rare for new order up until this point you know and some of the you know some of the the, the drum machine beats on fine time have a similar feel for me but the things that i keep coming back to on technique are uh, scott mentioned all the way love less those are both great songs uh, for me it's two in particular that i always come back to one of them is uh the one that they accidentally nicked from john denver uh, which is run you know answer me why don't you answer me and it has this wonder again it, you know this is a supposed dance club album, but here on Run is just an explosion of guitars, very kind of like riotous and loud guitars. This is like it feels like this is Sumner, you know, getting his rocks off and doing what right. he wants to do, right? And then there's this moment when all the all the guitars are playing, and then all of a sudden, boom, it cuts off, and then you just Jillian is playing this beautiful synth line, and then this you know do 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 do, and then do, and all of a sudden there's like a lyricism that had been completely absent from the album right up until that point, and, and you were like. I had forgotten that New Order knew how to do this. This is a sound that could have come from power, corruption, and lies. I love the ending of, of Run, where it goes into the purely instrumental section. I think it's, it's, it's them, one of their last truly great lyrical moments. Other song, the other song I want to mention is "Vanishing Point," which is one of my five, oh, yeah. one of my five favorite New Order songs of all time. And I could just you, know, you put on. I'm not a man who has been known to dance. I am a notorious <laughs> bump on a log. Okay, <laughs> but you know, you start that 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 beat, boom, 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 and then all of a sudden, like I'm up, and then 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 Hooky's bass comes in. Do, 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 do. And then Jillian comes in with the synths, and then all of a sudden it crashes 
into those piano chords, those clomping piano chords, and I am dancing. I am dancing, and I'm going to look like a complete moron doing it, but you cannot help but move once it kicks in to the hook on Vanishing Point. reason alone and those are the reasons that i like this album so much i think it is their last great album i i i, I don't like round and round because of those orchestra hits but i don't hate it i don't think there's a bad song on this record guilty partner seems to me to be like the weakest of all the links but uh from fine time all the way to dream attack they proved that you know from the 80s from the beginning of the 80s all the way to the end of the 80s new order kept it together and had everything going firing on all cylinders and then what the hell happened with republic man what the heck happened does anybody want to venture why this band suddenly just went from technique to republic well, As Republic opinion, was one great song, but everything else. Yeah, yeah. Regret is absolutely brilliant. It's one of my favorite songs in their catalog. It shows New Order with maturity. Um, you know, especially their early, you know, Power Corruption lines. They're a bunch of kids. This is just kind of regret. I like the lyrics, even though Barney wrote them. And uh, just something about it is just very kind of soulful laid back uh really enjoy that a great deal but with republic this is a situation where <laughs> they were looking at the hacienda it's this famous club that kind of launched this madchester rave scene going on there drugs everywhere uh getting shut down constantly and it drained the bank accounts of factory records and basically it was tony wilson saying hey we need some hits <laughs> because you are all on the hook for this because you didn't really check your contracts and uh, all of your money is invested in saving the Hacienda and propping up these other little acts that never sold anything but that Tony Wilson was obsessed with. And we need to come out with something and make some money. So, and the, ha the uh, Happy Mondays were busy bankrupting your label. Exactly, with <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, uh, doing drugs in Jamaica. That was a great idea. Let's send them to Jamaica so they can clean up. Yeah, good thinking. But yeah, uh, it, it worked so well for Keith Richards in 1973. Right. Yeah, it was a smart idea to do that for them too. Sean exactly. Ryder, that's exactly the the environment he needed to be put in. Right. The the cold hard structure and morality of Jamaica. But um, and before Republic, a few years before, I just want to give a dishonorable mention. They did um, one of their best selling singles, "World in Motion" for the World Cup for the England team. Their only ever number one hit. Yeah, yeah. Their only and, number one hit single in the UK. Right. And it was just one of those things where it's just like, well, we need some money, blokes. 
<laughs> you know, get something that'll actually get radio play, you know, t- take out everything interesting about New Order and just do this uh, kind of techno pop thingy. Um, Republic kind of it's very uneven. Um, Regret. I uh, absolutely adore that song, but it's very uneven. I know that uh, Hooky says that Regret was the last New Order song. Yeah, he was just like, yep, that was kind of it. That, that was after that. It was downhill. It's, uh, it was a disappointment, but at the time, the band members were just, when they were even in the same room, which was rare, you know, they wouldn't see each other for years at a time. And, you know, they're just doing their own thing. Uh, Bernard Sumner kind of got the lead singer complex where he wanted to do his thing. Um, it was kind of, you can think of it as like the Lennon and McCartney, you know, the, the push and pull of Peter Hook, the rock guy, the rock and roll rebel, mm-hmm. and uh, Bernard Sumner. The front man and, uh, oh, look at this cool new technology. How can I uh, shag some more birds at uh, Ibiza by uh, showing them my my music? So it, it was the tensions were very high. They didn't like each other. It was really done by committee. Um, even the song titles, they lost these cinematic art film titles that didn't have anything to do with the song. And they were done by committee. They were done by the record label. And so it was a much more corporate, and even the artwork reflects it, just this kind of corporate feel. Um, yeah, so it was kind of, there are, There are moments there, but it was it, really... It looks like Blur's The Great Escape. You ever, are you familiar with that album by Blur? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and The Great Escape was supposed to parody that, that weird corporate travelogue thing, and yet New Order did it in... It didn't feel like a parody suddenly. Right, so right. Strange. Yeah, it just it seemed like a product. You know, they they were there. They needed to make some money. And again, they're great artists. So you know, there there are good elements to it. Um, I I don't hate the album, but it's kind of like okay, my relationship is kind of <laughs> fading out. You know, I'll kind of listen to uh, "Regret" is the opening track. You have "Word," uh, "World." Um, which is atrocious with these backup singers. I don't, I don't know where they came up with that idea. Yeah, um, it's also people call it the price of love because that's what the backup singers are singing, and it's just like it's awful. It's just it's not New Order, you know. It's like any band of that era could have slapped this stuff together and sold, put it on vinyl and sold it. Um, Spooky has moments, but again, it's kind of they aren't a band anymore. It just feels like, well, it's an obligation. We should put something together. So I, I'm glad there were some good moments to it, but it, it was kind of the end of an era. It's like, okay, the 80s are done. Even those early 90s with the rave scene are done, and they're kind of uh, riding off into the sunset. It's just what it felt like me, it felt to me, even at the time. Scott, you're going to offer the bold, stirring defense of, of Republic, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not. No, oh. I'm not. But I will say, Jeff mentioned, uh, I think Spooky is all right. Uh, Liar is okay. There are some tracks near the end of the album that I think are pretty bad, though. Uh, Times right. Change and Avalanche are, are just pretty 
bad tracks. Regret is great. I think there's sort of universal uh, opinion that that is an outstanding track. Yes, it is. Guitar and vocal right at the forefront. Uh, something I, I noticed listening back to it for the episode is that that main guitar riff from Regret sounds to me like a uh, uh, homage, a copy, a uh, uh, nick of the, of the post-chorus riff in the Pretender song, Talk of the Town. The da -da -da -da. Uh, they're kind of very prominent in both songs. So I'm not you know, accusing anybody. I don't want it to be a John Denver situation, <laughs> but I do, I do hear it. I had never even thought of it until Scott pointed it out to me earlier before the show began, and now I can't not hear it in my head, <laughs> which is terrible. So thank you for ruining that song for me forever, Scott. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, All right. That's what I'm here for. He here's where we, we deal with the, the, the interesting uh, coda to the career of New Order. So they broke up after Republic, as you would imagine, from an album that sounded as distracted and unfocused as Republic. Um, a lot of bad blood, a lot of everybody taken to their corners, saying, I got my own album to do. Sumner goes and joins Electronic with Johnny Marr, I believe. Um, you know, Hook just, uh, I think, you know, sits back and you know, writes his memoirs. I'm not sure. Uh, but they eventually patch things up and they get back together. And it's a reunion album. They release it in 2001. It's called Get Ready. I know John is not a big fan of it. I'm not going to claim <laughs> that I'm a huge fan of it. But I actually don't think it's that bad for a reason. This is a well-reviewed album when it came out, by the way. This was, like, universally praised. Um, and I think it's not terrible. I think the problem is a lot of it is a little too soft. And maybe this is, you know, the thing is, is that we talk about one of the good things that New Order did is they moved with the times and they grew with the times. Well, I mean, for better or worse, Get Ready sounds like an album, like a dance album that would be heard in 2001. Not in, like, you know, the pop factory schlock way, but it definitely has a lot of those ticks and traits that one expects to hear from a record that came out, you know, was recorded in 2000, 2001. Um, but it doesn't do that much for me. I like Crystal, but it's a bit too sort of, you know, wishy-washy, flowy. I like uh, Slow Jam, which is, you know, as close to real rock as they got, even though they actually brought in Billy Corgan to play on Turn My Way, which I don't like, by the way. But there is one song on this album that I really like. It's the last song on the record. It's probably one of the most uncharacteristic New Order songs of all time. It's called Run Wild. Uh, it's a, a little acoustic thing. Uh, I assume it, it's, it's a Barney song. Cause it, I mean, I can't imagine this is the kind of thing that Hook would have come up with. Um, he's singing a little acoustic folk ballad. And it's a really pretty song. Nice lyric. Very clever melody. Open hearts. Empty spaces. Dusty roads. To distant places. But all the time. When I'm alone. I think of you. And how you've grown. Fire and wild. Uh, and a very pretty way to end the band's career. 
Except for the fact that the band's career unfortunately didn't end there. Sadly, it did not. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about Get Ready that you particularly want to share before I wrap this up. Do you or not? I like uh, Crystal, uh, but it feels like uh, a cast off, you know, a re-recording of an electronic track, uh, Barney Side Project. And at this time, Peter Hook was really getting pushed out. So you miss that tension between, you know, rebel rock and techno pop, I guess you could say. So it's fine. Uh, There are, it's okay to listen to, but I remember again, when this came out, it made me kind of sad. It's like, remember how good New Order used to be? (laughs) was kind of of the general feel. Um, It fit its time. Um, It was good to see him back and trying again. Uh, Rock the Shack is appalling. Uh, I I can't listen to that song because I'm like, that is not New Order. Um, Slow Jam, I do like. It's different. Um, But yeah, it's, there's a couple moments that are listenable. But that calling calling music listenable isn't exactly the highest compliment. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we got we got to hold New Order to a higher standard because right. everything up until this point was way better than mere listenability. Yeah, and of course that's my problem with waiting for the sirens call. Uh, you know, first of all, uh, it's the least inspired. I thought Republic's album cover was bad. Um, waiting for the sirens call is just the letters N O on the cover. I, they tried to maybe do something similar to that whole substance vibe, you know, from the doesn't work and the music inside to me is similarly unexpired i don't like crafty or Jetstream, which are the two big singles from this record it it is the moment where you just think to yourself well you know they 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 settled into that you know well we got bills to pay and kids to send off to school and so you know let's 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 uh, rack up some money so that we can afford to to send them to eaton uh, you know, if they want to go there, send them to like a nice private college in the United States if they want to pay the full freight for that. I don't hear a lot of inspiration on these songs. And, you know, I also think that when you have like seven different producers, uh, as they do on those songs, like it's it's not produced just by New Order or just by like one person. Like You have different like celebrity producers coming. Here's Stephen Street on one track. Here's John Leckie on another track. You don't get any kind of unified conceit or unified concept, and that to me is the big problem with that. And also with their most recent album, which is, uh, uh, what is it, Music Complete? I don't know. I've listened to it like a couple times, and it, and it hasn't done much for me. I, I also, that, but that's the other thing to point out, that after Waiting for the Sirens Call, uh, Hook and Sumner, I think, finally just had enough of one another. Hook quit the band. In fact, now he tours on his own. Yep. He he will actually he does shows. In fact, he played a show in Chicago not too long ago where he played Substance, Joy Division Substance, and New Order Substance straight through all the songs on both albums. Uh, you know, you know, track for track, which is actually interesting because I, I I'm not sure what it would be like to hear Confusion Instrumental as a track if he played that. Um, you know, on the the B sides of the New Order Substance, but uh, apparently a lot of people say it's a great show. But uh, they're they're no longer on, on speaking terms, and I'm really not sure what a new order without Peter Hook is. It, is it new <laughs> order at all? It's like taking one of the most important. It's like you know what is the Who without Pete Townsend? I, I don't really know. Right. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I uh, just saw Peter Hook play live in Phoenix uh, last week. There you go. And yeah, How it was, was it? fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. He actually has a son uh, helping him out playing bass. Um, but he will come out for his most famous signature bass lines, but he sings like he did on the first, you know, on movement 
and sang a few tracks there. And yeah, his voice isn't great, but frankly, Barney's isn't great, but uh, <laughs> good production. This is, not a, this is not a band you came to for the vocals. Right, right. But it's really, um, it, it was a fun show. And Peter Hook uh, put this band together, Peter Hook and the Light, really to play this back catalog because it's something throughout New Order's career. He was like, gosh, why don't we play all these great Joy Division songs? Why don't why don't we do that? But it was like, nope, that's the past. That's a different band. And so it's really fun. And it's one of those situations, too, where um, finding Joy Division, they're way too dark for me when they came out. You know, who knows what I was, 10, 11 or something. But it's something that I came to appreciate them later after really loving New Order and um, took me a while. I'm like, wow, this doesn't sound like New Order. This is very different. But it's one of those things, years listening to them, you're never going to be able to see them live. It kind of add, added to the myth. So it's pretty amazing to see, you know, it was a big club, too, in Phoenix. And it was just packed to the gills and everybody's pogoing. <laughs> it was just like, wow, yeah, it isn't, you know, I don't see Ian up there doing his crazy dancing. But um, it, it was a lot of fun to see just the joy he takes in the music, the joy he gets from his fans. He's very active on Twitter, and um, just he, he's just an impressive several guy. Several tweets, actually. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, did the obligatory buy. Uh, have a couple T-shirts now. One looks like the New Order Substance album cover, and the other looks like the Joy Division Substance album cover. So I have uh, both dark and light represented here. <laughs> And there we go. Uh, it's the Political Beach look at the career of New Order. And so we've gotten to the point of the show where all three of us offer to you, the Political Beach listener, our two key albums and our five songs that everyone should hear from New Order. We always begin with our guest. That means John Gabriel, editor-in-chief, ricochet.com, columnist for the Arizona Republic, co-host of the Conservatarians podcast. Your choice is first, please. Um, albums first? Uh, both. Yeah. Albums both. and songs. Okay, yep. I, will, I will go through all. I'll start with the albums, and these are kind of bookends to me. Power, Corruption, and Lies has to be there. It is, they're not, you know, uh, when you're a snooty music fan, you always uh, pick nits with every kind of album. Oh, I didn't like that, and that was lazy. Power, Corruption, and Lies, perfect album. I could listen to it every day for the rest of my life, and I would enjoy it each time. And Technique, which is kind of, that was the last, you know, New Order still has it. They're fantastic. Uh, they're layered. They're textured. Uh, trying out new things all the time. So those are my two key albums. For the five key songs, this was so difficult. This was painfully difficult. Yeah, and was I be, think yeah, was. my original list had about 17 of memory serves. So it's just like whittling it down. So I represented uh, different facets of them. I have to say Blue Monday. Um, it's an amazing song. And like you say, it's one of those things where the 80s um, produced a song where it's not like, oh, look how cute that is. Look at those 80s people, you know, playing their little synthy music. It's something you could play on a dance floor today with nothing but millennials who had never heard of New Order and everyone would rush to the dance floor. Um, another key song, and I don't have these in any order because I don't know how you could even rank them, Leave Me Alone. Um, it's perfect. Uh, this just melancholy feel. Um, the depth that New Order has instead of so many surfacey bands you had in the 80s. Um, I'll put the perfect kiss, but my spin on it is the video version of it. I watch that video every other week at least <laughs> and have for years um, just watching the band play the song live. So it sounds a little different from uh, various recorded versions. Alone, 
the next one I wanted to include one from um, include one from Technique, and I was so tough to pick between Fine Time and Vanishing Point because they're both brilliant. I pick Fine Time because it so represents that moment in music. And lastly, I got to do Regret. Um, that's another song I could just listen to endlessly. It's a it's more of a pop song than you usually get from New Order, but it, it's one of those few. I have about ten perfect pop songs, and and that's up there. All right, for uh, my choices on uh, the albums, uh, we'll start with Power, Corruption, and Lies, which I think might make an appearance on all these lists. And, I, you know, going back through again, I, I'm going to recommend Brotherhood, I think, um, an album that continues to impress, and actually more so as I revisit, and, and one I think from start to finish is pretty darn consistent, and I don't think there's a really a bad track on it, so... Power, Corruption, and Lies, and Brotherhood. And uh, from the songs, uh, give me a, a Temptation from that first group of, uh, of singles released after the uh, the very first album. Um, and let's see. From uh, Power, Corruption, and Lies, Age of Consent, absolutely. The just classic, outstanding bass line from, uh, from, from Hook uh, on Age of Consent is fabulous. Um, uh, Love Vigilantes from Low Life. I think is the best song on that album and uh, Thieves Like Us um, which is on the compilation of course was a single as well back uh, in 85-ish Thieves Like Us is a great overlooked track from the New Order catalog and uh, finally from uh, Technique though I don't love the album I I do really really like All The Way which is a great song with a fantastic uh, melody so those are my five Jeff Okay, well, you were right about Power, Corruption, and Lies being on all three of our lists because it is indeed one of my two key albums as well. Uh, this is the album where, where New Order came into their own and, and ceased being you know, haunted by the ghosts of Ian Curtis and, and, and stepped out into a different world and, and sort of carved a unique place in the, in the, uh, the musical firmament for themselves. And I'm going to cheat a little bit, although I don't really consider this cheating when I say that my second choice is Substance. And the reason I don't think it's cheating is that although it is nominally a compilation, there are 24 songs on that double CD and not a single one of them appears on any of the band's original albums. Uh, some of them are in, you know, The Perfect Kiss is in an edited form on uh, Low Life and Bizarre Love Triangle is in a completely different unremixed form on uh, Brotherhood. But these are all unique tracks, unique cuts, and it is really the story of the band just you know, that first disc alone from ceremony all the way to true faith you know yeah technique comes afterwards and that's a great album as well but this is if you really want to start figure out why is this band important why do people really love them so much this is the story of the band and you get to hear it in all of its 12 inch glory um for my five songs uh first one i'll do these chronologically so i'll start with ceremony uh, the 12-inch version of it. Uh, this is the the remake version, the famous one. It's the one that opens Substance, and it's the one with Gillian Gilbert and the band, the remake they did uh, later on in like April of 1981. It's the last thing that Ian Curtis left to them. His legacy, his gift, his sad gift he, to the band, even though he committed suicide, he left them with this one magnificent song that does feel like a Joy Division number in some ways, but doesn't in, in other ways. And it feels like, yeah, th- this band was going to be heading off, no matter what, into a different direction. And, and here's the proof of it, because you know, the love will tear us apart. 
you know, that's the last Joy Division song. It doesn't sound a lot like Ceremony. Ceremony is something qualitatively different. And that was the beginning of New Order being something separate from Joy Division. The second one I'll choose is Everything's Gone Green, which is, you know, the first dancing number that they did. It has that that weird sequencer, this you know, the synthesizers, the, the the repetitive nagging hook bass line, the very strange darkness and that thing you can never quite put your finger on, that ominousness that just I find so compelling about early New Order. Uh, the third song I'll mention is Leave Me Alone, and that is my favorite New Order song of all time, as I've already explained. I think it it is is the the most beautiful sound that they ever achieved instrumentally. And this is a band whose appeal to me has always been primarily musical and instrumental that was their absolute peak the best thing they did the fourth song i'll choose is vanishing point off of technique as i already explained once that piano comes clomp again i'm i'm out on the floor and i don't care how stupid i look i'm just gonna dance till the song is done till the last blippity blippity bloop of vanishing point i will be shaking it and then i want to end my last one i could have so many ones that i could pick but i guess i'll choose 1963 it's the B-side of True Faith. You can find it on, um, among other things, you can find it on Substance. But the version that I really like is the obscure 1995 Arthur Baker Dance Remix, which you can find on Retro and I think maybe on the best of new order, among other things. It, it, it updates the sound. It really brings Hook's bass to the forefront, and it, it, it makes it a much you know faster-moving and sadder song, emphasizes the synthesizers. Just one of those things where you realize during the height of their powers, new order could write... These amazing hooks, these riffs, these choruses, without even trying, just throw them off. And uh, the power, the muscular power of their ability to sort of capture that zeitgeist, to capture that feeling, and to, to, to make you just want to move and be you know, emotionally transported just by the operation of their drums, their bass, their guitars, and their synths alone was a sight to behold. 1963. I love that song. It was January. 1963 When Johnny came home With a gift for me He said I bought it for you Because I love you And I bought it for you Because it's your birthday too He was so very nice He was so very kind To think of me At this point in time I used to think of him episode for new order we thank our guest this week john gabriel find him on twitter at x john e x j o n editor-in-chief ricochet.com columnist arizona republic co-host of the conservatarians podcast john thank you so much for joining us 
It was an honor to be on. Love what you guys are doing and uh, keep up the great music. I think my favorite episode, well, second to this one, of course, has to be the Smith's deep dive because it just got so deep and uh, I loved it. <laughs> loved it. Fantastic. Yeah, and Moynihan telling all those stories about actually going to Manchester. <laughs> yeah. right. That helped yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Jeff. Wonderful as always. Yes. And we'll try to do it uh, again You know what? I think, I think we should try to do it again sometime. What do you think? That sounds like a plan to me. Find Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. The show, yeah, the show is on Twitter. At Political underscore Beats is where to find it. At Political underscore Beats. Don't forget to subscribe to the feed for new episodes. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn or right there at nationalreview.com. Listen, enjoy, share, leave reviews, please. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.